who is this guy Lula? And may he actually be the one to save the planet? Hmm. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. It's been 55 years since Stanford... It's been 55 years since Stanford professor of biology Paul Ehrlich wrote The Population Bomb, in which he predicted what we are experiencing in 2023, the consequences of population growth and limited resources. And today we have far more people and individually we are consuming far more than we did back then. It's not unreasonable for ever more serious concern about the sustainability of our planet. Scientists are even talking about a sixth extinction throughout the planet. We're talking about billions of years here. And more of us are taking personal responsibility, doing what we can, buying more efficient, even electric cars, doing what we can to reduce obvious waste, trying our best to reuse and recycle. But one person can only do so much if the economic incentives are not there and there's no systemic change. There was the recent 2022 Oslo International Law Conference focusing on the transformative power of law addressing global environmental challenges and the COP Conference uh, 27 in Egypt very recently in which uh, the person we're going to be speaking about, Lula, did participate. So there's this talk of politicians, and yet all we see around us is more powerful storms, flooding, and numerous examples of the serious, serious dangers of global warming. And what's really being done? What actions more than words? As it runs out, individuals cannot merely adjust our own uh, consumption. Perhaps we surprisingly can make the essential political change by being involved in politics that shifts power from rapacious corporate polluters and their power with politicians and actually affect real systemic change. Could it happen? Well, most of us do know about the unique place of Brazil's rainforests and what appears to be the largest and most important carbon sinks, but something of truly major significance in this global crisis happened on the first of the year, January 1st, 2023. A big change. Sure, the corporate powers like Chevron and the Saudi regime remain deeply committed to their uh, profitable, irresponsible dependence on, on fossil fuels, but as our guest, and our guest today writes, no one person or single government can challenge them all at the same time. However, a 77-year-old former president of Brazil, and I believe someone who has actually spent time in jail, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, better known as simply Lula, is back in power. And for many of us on the left, it's rather exciting and hopeful. 
Our guest today, author James North, argues in a new Washington Monthly article that a habitable Earth depends on Lula. He replaces the right-wing Brazilian version of Donald Trump, uh, Bolsonaro, who aggressively backed destruction of the Amazon rainforest. He really did. But as we recognize, one person may only do so much if the economic incentives are not there. It's a huge task. Lula just barely won election, and it took three rounds, I believe, to make that happen. The forces of deforestation of the massive rainforest have a lot at stake, and they're hardly just going to pack it up and give up. So what makes this Lula so crucial to a habitable Earth? Can it be done, or is it not really, really too late? Our guest, James North, has covered the global South for 47 years and is author of Freedom Rising, a first-hand look at apartheid South Africa, and is editor of Mondo Weiss, which covers Palestinian and Israeli issues. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, and, and we in North America have a vague sense of the importance of the Amazon region. Somehow we just sort of know it. But you have some details how big it is and its place scientifically, scientifically uh, regarding the rate of planetary warming. Please share some of that information with us. Well, thank you, Bert, and uh, thank you for your invitation to join your podcast, and thank you for your interest in um, what many of us are starting to call now the global climate emergency. A uh, crisis may not even be strong enough of a word, so many of us are using the term climate emergency um, in the very sense that, you know, we have to move more quickly than even those of us who have been following this for years realized. Wow. One minor correction. Sure. The article that I did appeared in the uh, the Nation magazine. Oh, I'm sorry. The Nation. No problem at all. The Nation.com. I have contributed to the Washington Monthly, and I thoroughly endorse it as a publication as well. But in this particular case, my the article appeared in The Nation. Ah. Good magazine, um, really good magazine. Go ahead. No problem. Uh, I've been following the uh, South American rainforest, uh, including firsthand visits for probably 30 years now, off and on. Uh, but what's happened, what really grabbed my attention a few months ago was where I read a scientific report that said that the Amazon could be approaching a tipping point. Now, the crisis, we've known about the crisis. Many of us who are older remember uh, the great uh, labor leader and rubber tapper Chico Mendez, who was murdered in uh, 1988 uh, for trying to protect the rainforest. And, you know, if I go, I, I live in New York City. If I go to the uh, American Museum of Natural History, there's a whole exhibit on rainforests and their importance in the global climate. So in other words, none of this is new to me, nor I suspect is it new to most of the people who follow your podcast. That said, it really jumped out at me back in June that, um, the scientific experts regard, uh, but by tipping point, this is what I mean. Mm. Um, so far, none of these estimates are precise and can't be, but, but, but satellite information and others gives us at least enough of a sense that they're in the general ballpark area. So far, roughly 17% of the Brazilian Amazon has been destroyed. But the argument is, by scientists, not by me, is that once that 17% reaches 20 to 25%, there's a risk of a tipping point. Now, the science is complex. Fortunately, 
This next coming weekend, the New York Times Magazine has a long article, a long and good article on the scientific background to make this point. But, but basically what seems to happen is if you cut down the trees, the whole weather patterns change. And even were you to try and replant or reforest, they won't grow because there's not the sufficient rainfall and the other climactic uh, uh, situations that would enable that to happen. So in other words, the Amazon or big portions of it could be on the verge of tipping into becoming uh, scrubby savanna, uh, uh, not desert, but certainly not triple canopy rainforest that it is today. Okay. The Amazon is by far the largest area of remaining rainforest on our planet. Now, the way it functions is, as you mentioned in your introduction, it's what's called a carbon sink. It used to be said that the Amazon was the lungs of the world. I, I can remember Brazilians three or four decades ago telling me that, that the rest of the world, mm. the, the implication was that the rainforest produced oxygen that the rest of us were breathing. Well, strictly speaking, that's not accurate. But, but, but the basic, the, the concern and the importance of the Amazon that that statement says is in fact accurate. What the Amazon does is it's a carbon sink, which means it withdraws carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, uh, at an enormous, I don't have the figures right in front of me. Some of them are in my article, but it, it withdraws carbon dioxide from the, and carbon dioxide is one of the greenhouse gases that's contributing to the warming of our planet, which is already creating uh, crises from one end of the planet to the other. Okay. So in other words, um, you know, there's a real emergency now, whereas say 10 years ago or even five years ago, uh, you know, we knew that there was a problem, but we still have time to deal with it. Now, what's basically just happened, as you also pointed out in your introduction, is that Lula da Silva, who was a labor leader, mm-hmm. uh, who who served as Brazil's president from 2003 to 2011, ran for re-election and won narrowly. He won by two, just under 2% of the vote. Now, what's important there is that his predecessor, one Jair Bolsonaro, has often been considered or described as Brazil's Trump. He was a man who um, didn't care about conservation, didn't care about the rainforest, not only didn't care about it, but encouraged uh, Mm -hmm. it to be cut down because many of his supporters are well-off rural landlords who benefit from the rainforest being cut down because then they run huge, you know, they're ranchers. They're called fazenderos in, in Portuguese. That means landlords or, or, or big, big, land, big rural landlords. So they put cattle in where there were, were before. I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this in uh, Western Brazil. I mean, it's appalling. You know, you, you where, where there was once a beautiful rainforest, there's now just scrub and these humpback cattle uh, 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 grazing there. Okay. Um, the point is, though, that... Bolsonaro nearly won the election. Now he's gone off to Florida for now, but there's a chance that he could make a comeback in four years, or if not him, someone else who represents the social forces in Brazil that he does. And so the point is that Lula has promised to restore the, uh, to try and uh, save the rainforest, to fund the organizations that were preventing it from being cut down, which Bolsonaro had defunded. He's, He's planned a whole series of steps but the point is, if he doesn't win the election or re-election in four years, this could all go backwards again, as it just did under the four years of Bolsonaro. So the mm. thrust of my article is pointing out that, um, you know, from afar, we can cheer Lula da Silva. We can hope that he does a good job. But there are actually concrete things that people in the rest of the world can do. 
now, one of the leaders of, uh, of uh, Lula's political movement is a well-known professor, elderly gentleman called Eduardo Suplicy. He, along with Thomas Poga, who's a distinguished professor, a philosophy professor at Yale who specializes in global justice, they've come up with a proposal which actually makes a lot of sense. What they say is they recognize that the electoral mathematics in, in, in Brazil is, is dangerous for mm-hmm. conservationists like ourselves. They see that. Mm-hmm. And that they, they point out, and you know, I, I won't go into too much detail here, but they point out that there are large numbers of people who do have a stake in uh, burning down the rainforest sure. because they don't have land elsewhere or because they work in the cattle industry or whatever. We don't need to go into great detail there. But in other words, you can't, you can't force people to vote against their own economic um, interests. It's, it's totally understandable. Brazil is still, Brazil is, is not a, among the poorest countries in the world, but there's still millions of poor people there. And if they see that their livelihood or their potential livelihood is threatened, they'll vote for the other side as they have. Okay. So what the suggestion is, is that the, the, the better off the rich world, uh, the countries, uh, you know, United States, sure. Japan, Europe, that we send funding, both public and private, to Brazil's government, and that Brazil's government, instead of just taking this and doing whatever with it, that they turn the, convert this into monthly payments that will go into, uh-huh. you know, all Brazilians have an ID card. Um, and, 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 and this, this has actually worked already. I mean, uh, there are, uh, these, 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 these monthly payment plans for the poorer people. But if, in, in other words, as, as, uh, Professor Poga told me in my article, the scheme is attractive to the West, attractive to Lula, the new, the, the former and now new president and attractive to Brazilians who can get a tangible monthly payout in their wallets. So what that means is that, um, Let's say you're a poor person in uh, near the Amazon region and you're thinking of voting in the 2026 election. Your instinct might be, well, let's see, let's bring Bolsonaro or someone like him back for the simple reason that, you know, I'll get a better job that way or I'll get a job that way. But on the other hand, wait a minute, you know, uh, the Lula government has basically every month I get so many cruzeros, cruzados. I don't remember exactly what the currency is called mm-hmm. anymore. But in my in my in this monthly payment, it's not a lot of money, but this is coming because other parts of the world think that we should protect the rainforest. So you can see. Uh, Bert, the chain of connection here, which is that there's a good president in Brazil. He's going to try and do the right thing for the rainforest, but he has to win re-election. He has to maintain political power. Yes. And one way to do that is to, instead of, you know, forcing Brazilians to, to, to do whatever sacrifices are necessary to, you know, that we recognize that this is a global climate emergency. This is not Brazil's emergency. It's a global climate emergency and we have to take action. Now, if I tune into Fox News, yep. as I do, as I, <laughs> as I do occasionally, do yes, yes, you should. I do that to just see what the, right. you know, the other side is saying. And they have started to call this kind of scheme reparations, reparations, uh-huh. as though as though the implication, the implication there is that we're doing this because we feel guilty. We hurt these people in the past, etc. Well, without getting into the whole issue of reparations, I have views on that, too. But this is not reparations. This is so. I live in lower Manhattan. You know, I would support such a measure so that 
you know, sometime in the next 20 years or 30 years, I live near the Hudson River. So flooding doesn't come back from a major storm, which has been caused by the global climate emergency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can multiply that example. Any almost anyone anywhere in the world now understands what the climate emergency has already shown us, the dangers that it's shown us, and it can only get worse. So in other words, this is not reparations. This is in our enlightened Uh self-interest. And when these proposals start to become more public, you know, it's our job, I think, to get behind them, whether through our elected representatives or whatever, to just understand, you know, the globe is more interconnected now than it maybe ever was. Wow, there is a lot to talk about there. Uh, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive, and we're, we're talking about things that really do affect the ability to keep democracy alive, because if, you know, things are physically falling apart, if uh, people feel tremendous danger to being just able to live, uh, then more radical, extreme, uh, authoritarian uh, uh, so-called answers may be more appealing. Our guest today is uh, uh, author uh, James North, who has written an article in The Nation magazine, one of my favorite magazines, uh, entitled, A Habitable Earth Depends on Lula. Boy, there's there is a lot to talk about there, and is the, the economics are huge. Uh, you know, people in in North America, for example, in the Midwest, they it's it's overgeneralization. Take that as a given, but uh, a lot of people in the Midwest depend on say big agriculture. They depend on on big cattle ranches and things like that and they don't and 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 uh drilling for oil they don't want some easterner some bi-coastal people with this you know highfalutin we're better than you attitude saying oh we need to save the earth you people good old you people that's that always goes over well uh need to uh just accept that there's going to be big environmental changes you have to uh, ch- change your dependence. You've been depending on coal in West Virginia for a long time. You have to give that up, and that uh, that threat, that 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 sense of threat, has been a big appeal to uh, to Trumpists. For example, they feel like we got to save coal, we got to save our jobs. Our jobs are threatened, um, and the the economics. It's it's interesting what you're talking about with the uh, uh, the world participating in it. I mean, people have Brazil is a huge geographic area. I can't even begin to fathom how big it really is. It's as you say, it's not the poorest of of uh, global South nations, but chainsawing rainforests unquestionably created a lot of jobs where virtually none existed. And and people supporting the corporate polluting right have long argued that here's the choice, people, jobs or the environment. That's got to play in Brazil as well. I, I can't help but think, I wasn't there, but uh, Bolsonaro must have used that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, unquestionably. Unquestionably. I mean, it's a little tricky. You you, you summarized it uh, quite rightly, but it's a little tricky because a lot of the people who do the actual chainsawing are then displaced. Let me explain. The forest exists 
and the kind of products that come from the forest, you know, whether they're Brazil nuts or occasionally still rubber tappers, although not to the extent that there used to be, not a huge amount of value comes from those. I mean, the forest's main value both to Brazil and to the world at large is, again, as this carbon sink, we're not even getting into biodiversity here. I mean, let me just add parenthetically, there was a brief little article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about a frog that had been discovered in the Costa Rican rainforest. And this frog, apparently, uh, there, there are ways that they can learn from um, this frog to discover a new drug that would help blood coagulate for people who have problems with their blood coagulating. Uh-huh. They stumbled across this frog. Some naturalists were out there. They looked into it, whatever. I mean, this is the kind of thing that can happen. Okay, sure. so let's just set biodiversity aside uh, and and go back to the, uh, to the global the global climate crisis. What seems to happen is large landowners, uh, large ranchers, I should say, there's also uh, people who grow soybeans for export to Japan and elsewhere in Brazil. That's also a big export industry, Uh but large landowners, they see a stretch of forest, they want to take it over, but they don't go there directly go in themselves. So what they do is they send, you know, poorer people who maybe have come from other parts of Brazil where they've lost their jobs and whether, whatever, you know, there's high unemployment, they've lost their jobs. They come there and, and they do the actual deforestation with the chainsaws, with the, you know, the burning season is from what, July through September when the forest dries enough to burn. I mean, you can see these, fl- these flames from, from, from the air, you know, astronauts have seen them. Okay. So, um, Okay, and then but then what happens is because Brazil is still a tremendously unequal uh, society where the, the the powerful still have a tremendous pressure, they end up either cheating or forcing the people who re, who who cut down the forest out, and then they run their cattle in there. I've seen this with my I, I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen cattle running around in places where you know uh, ten years earlier or five years earlier there was triple canopy jungle. Then what seems to happen, too, is, and this, you know, the, the, the facts need to still come out a little further on this, a lot of this beef used to just be sold uh, within Brazil itself. But Brazil now, to, <clears throat> to my surprise, <clears throat> I learned this as I was researching this and other articles, to my surprise, <clears throat> Brazil has a reasonably large-sized export uh, meat industry, even some coming to the United States, although it's, I think a, a larger uh, amount of the exports go to Europe. Well, the European Union, just in early December, passed legislation saying that refusing to accept exports from Brazil or anywhere else that were, uh, that were done, uh, that, that come from beef that was in rainforest, in areas that were once rainforest. Now, this is going to be difficult to police because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole apparatus. You can, you can imagine there's a whole apparatus of falsifying where it came from and stamping it with whatever. OK, but if there's a will, there's a way to actually do this to make <clears throat> these exports, uh, you know, to turn them away. And so they won't be profitable anymore. And, you know, that's another angle to, to save the rainforest. What does seem to have to happen, though, is there has to be an in- a continued and growing understanding that this is a global climate emergency and that it affects all of us, even if we can't locate Acre province in Brazil on a map. Who, who can do that? People have lives to live. They don't need, they can't go into this kind of detail. But that there are so, and that even a democratic system in Brazil, the elections were regarded as, uh, as free and fair this yeah. last time around. Yeah. You know, it is very possible 
that Lula, again, or if someone else from his party runs in his place in four years, they could lose. And one of the reasons they could lose is because, as you pointed out quite accurately, people could feel that their economic possibilities are being are being uh, shut off by others who um, maybe live uh, nice lives in New York or London and don't care about them. Right. And people like to have control over their own lives. There's no question Absolutely. about that. And they don't like, you know, elitists coming down. One can imagine, you know, working people, people who haven't, you know, who lived in really deeply rural areas, shall we say, uh, without the greatest education, seeing these elitists come in, you know, like, oh, we're going to save the world and, and you have to pay for it. I, you Absolutely. Know, that, that's that's got to be uh, a very big hurdle. And you talked about policing. Well, you know, there have been examples of, of corruption in police. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, everywhere. <laughs> throughout the world. And, and, and you know, pe people throughout, uh, Latin, you know, the Global South often talk about dealing with corruption, but it rarely, rarely is. So Lula has quite a few challenges ahead of him. Oh, absolutely. For sure. How is it that he actually beat Bolsonaro? And what happens now? I mean, Trump finally left the White House, apparently, and uh, Bolsonaro did leave. There was a lot of concern about who was the military with in Brazil, because oftentimes... In yes, absolutely, yeah. So so tell us, is this part of a left surge throughout the Well, I mean, some people, <clears throat> yes and no, probably right. more no than yes. Some uh -huh. people have, have, yeah, some people have made that argument. Lula is... First of all, <clears throat> Lula's previous eight years in power from 2003 to 2011 were a tremendous success. They were success because he's a well-meaning, highly intelligent, hardworking leader, but they were also a success because Brazil exports certain commodities like soy, like uh, iron ore, and the world prices for these commodities were relatively high, largely, although not totally, because China was undergoing a boom uh, uh, economic boom and was importing uh -huh. from Brazil and elsewhere. So Lula, Lula deserves a lot of credit, and some of it was good luck that happened to coincide yeah. with his first time as president. Okay, all right. So what happened then was that this time around, Lula, is, he's nothing if not politically intelligent, and he recognized that the climate in Brazil had turned, had become more conservative, had turned to the right, uh -huh. as shown by Bolsonaro's uh, victory in 2016, was it? 2017. Okay. Now, the thing is that Bolsonaro uh, was regarded, I mean, the, the comparison with Trump is entirely appropriate. People I know who follow Brazil closely, a good friend of mine's a labor lawyer who's actually worked down there, they say that Bolsonaro was regarded as a as a clown, as an outsider, as a person who you never paid any attention to. Uh, he was in the parliament, but what did he do? He did nothing. He, he just made idiotic speeches. And so I suspect that for the average Brazilian, they were surprised when Bolsonaro won, as many of us were when Donald Trump won. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was it's a rough equivalent. I mean, it's sure. Bolsonaro's a retired army captain. You know, Trump has no military, whatever. OK, but the similarities. OK, but Lula is nothing if not realist. He recognized that the challenges of beating this guy the second time around were going to be difficult. So what he did was he 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 moderated his campaign. He he ran a more centrist campaign. He chose a former uh, rival to be his vice presidential candidate. It would be the equivalent, I guess, of Joe Biden picking a moderate Republican to run with him 
uh, instead of a Democrat. Ah. Uh, and, and he ran a very careful, highly intelligent campaign. And even then, he only won, as I said, by 1.8% of the vote. Um, and you're right, there was a fear that uh, Bolsonaro would pull a Trump on January 6th, mm-hmm. that he and his supporters would, you know, that uh, how much support did he have within the military? You know, Brazil has had in the past a history of military coups, right. although none since the 70s and 80s. But okay. Fortunately, none of that happened. Now, to the credit of the U.S. and other governments, the second that it looked like Lula was going to win on election night, parenthetically, I should just say, Brazil has a far better system of counting votes than we do in this country. <laughs> well, it, it, it's not too The hard. votes are electronic. You know, Bolsonaro and his ilk tried to uh, discredit them ahead of time, but it's been the system has worked enough for long enough in Brazil so that there's widespread confidence. So within I'm not exaggerating here with, you know, it's a country, what, 110 million people within three hours, four hours tops of the polls closing the National Electoral Council, whatever their name is predicted or said that Lula was, you know, the the statistics show that Lula was going to win. He was going to win narrowly, but he was going to win. Next, to his credit, our president, Joe Biden, immediately sent a a message of congratulations, look forward to working with you. Uh, You know, we're we're allies and friends in the Americas. And and at the same time, other European, this was all coordinated ahead of time, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the message was clear to anyone and any generals in the Brazilian military who were thinking of trying to overturn the election that this was going to have consequences among among the world's U.S. and other great powers. So... How much that affected the Bolsonaro side, it had to have affected them somewhat. And it was it was it was the right move to make. Okay, but there again, you know, here we're talking about elections. I mean, I guess you could say a typical chainsaw operator in the rainforest might be somebody like the following in the south of Brazil, uh, where there has been other forms of agriculture. It's not rainforest. It's more temperate climate. Uh, a lot of this agriculture, including in uh, coffee production, has mechanized. So a lot of people who worked on these farms, you know, earned low salaries, but were able, at least able to make a living, lost their jobs. Not overnight, but we're talking over a period of decades. Okay, so what are they going to do? Well, they do what people in the United States do when they lose their jobs in the Northeast or in the Midwest. They move to Texas or they move to California or they move to Florida. Well, in this case, these very same people moved up the new highways that have been built over the last couple of decades towards the rainforest, not because they said, let's go and burn something down, but because they wanted to support them for their families. So they went up there and then they got, you know, the, the various schemes that, that, that work where you could get a, a hundred hectares of land, or you could work for somebody else with the chainsaw, whatever. So in other words, these people see the rainforest as their only alternative, as you as you mentioned a couple of times uh, earlier. They see it as an alternative. The alternative is no, not to make a living at all. And unless the outside world recognizes this reality and tries to address it, up to make, um, you know, to bring Brazil into a perfect society, we understand that. But it is our job to do. You know, I guess, I guess, you know, I have been searching for the right analogy, but I guess it's if. If, if three doors down, your neighbor's house is burning to the ground and there's no fire department there, you know, yeah, it's not your problem. But if the wind is blowing in your direction, the fire is going to get to you eventually. So maybe you ought to, you know, fund the, fund the fire department or at least buy some buckets of water to help them put the fire out. 
I guess, you know, I, 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 with time, I can come up with a better analogy, but that's, that's, the, that's the point I would make. Yes, well, I, that's the point I would make. And for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, uh, Lula and tremendous opportunities for real change in Brazil. Uh, our guest uh, has written an article in The Nation magazine, uh, Habitable Earth Depends on Lula. That's such a big thing to say. A habitable earth it is. depends it on is. Lula. However, you know we're talking. This is he's describing something. Most of most of us, for to use your example, we don't know the house three door three doors down is on yes, fire. Exactly. We don't, we don't yes. know that yet. Or at, or at best, <laughs> at best, if you're like me, you you know that there's a fire risk down there, but you don't you don't know how much of it's already burned down. I would just say, you know. Um, I love the nation and I love the headline writers there. Um, and they do a far better job putting the headlines on my articles than I ever could. But when it says depends on Lula, I think what I meant there, and I say it more specifically in the piece, depends on Lula plus the political movement uh. that he's the head of. And, and the envi- there's a strong environmentalist movement in Brazil and has really? been for a long time. Wow. For instance, Lula's uh, new uh, secretary, Marina Silva, is the new sec- is the new uh, minister for the environment. Yeah, I was going to ask. Marina about. Silva was minister of the environment back in the two thousands, and at a time when you know the rainforest destruction declined sharply. She was raised in the rainforest. She's the daughter of rubber tappers, poor people who used to try and and there's still some of them left, wow. but not as many as there were. They used to still try and get you know t- t- you know sustainably tap rubber trees to get rubber for 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 export. Um, and she um, she's the new and she didn't learn how to read or write until she was 16 years old. She then went on to university, a distinguished career in both politics and whatever. And she's now again, you know, the minister of the environment as she was before. So that's so. In other words, it, Lula can't do it alone, nor would right. he suggest that he is. But it's it's a movement there. And, and what's more, let me point this out, and this actually uh, is based partly on what you were saying a little bit earlier. Brazilians say, "Look, you and the rest of the world want to interfere in right. our, you know, internal uh, how we run our economy." Well, look, Europe. Look, United States, you once had rain, not rainforests, sorry, but you once had forests, forest covered Germany, forest covered whatever, and you cut them all down or you cut a lot of them down. I mean, you know, the, the, the New England and the United States doesn't, you know, it's starting to reforest some, but it doesn't look like it did when, you know, oh. when the uh, settlers first came from Europe. So in other words, they say, you're hypocrites. Look what you did. And you partly use the proceeds from your deforestation to develop your country. And now you're telling us to stop. Right. And this proposal to at least recognize the interdependence and to try and do some funding to offset it is at least recognition that, that there's a core of truth to that argument. Absolutely. And interdependence. Boy, what a concept. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We've been dealing with nationalism for way too long and the damage that's done. But that's Absolutely. another story. Now, Bolsonaro is defeated. He recognized his defeat. He's hiding out in Florida now. <laughs> right. Uh, but like Trumpists, they're not going away, I don't think. It was a no, close no. election. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, when FDR was president, he had a huge mandate. He had a majority Correct. in both houses. Correct. That ain't the case in Brazil. What? What? Uh, I can imagine there'll be some political difficulties and challenges in the uh, legislative system for uh, for Lula. 
Absolutely right. And in fact, Lula's party called the Workers' Party is not by any means the largest single party. Uh Lula has to make certain alliances with certain centrist parties where there's a lot of trading going back and forth. Now, Bolsonaro himself left Brazil uh, two or three days before the handover of power on January 1st. Uh, Normally, uh, this is true throughout Latin America, the previous president wears a sash, a presidential sash in the national colors. And what happens, it's very symbolic. The the previous president removes the sash and places it over the, or hands it or places it over the head of the new president. Okay, that's what Lula did when he left power back in 2011, etc. And, you know, as we can remember in our own country, until Donald Trump, historically, the outgoing president, even if he lost re-election would be standing there right next to watching them. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a symbol of continuity and so on. Well, what Lula, uh, I'm sorry, what Bolsonaro did was he jumped on his plane and flew to, flew to Orlando, Florida. One theory, I don't have any uh, you know information on this, but one sure. theory is that he may have violated, or he certainly violated certain laws while he was president, and Oops. it'd be fears that uh, if he were still in Brazil that he could be uh, prosecuted for that. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is this, the fact that he left has created some consternation among his supporters ah. based on, you know, what is he running away from? Why didn't he stay here and fight for us and so on? But that doesn't fundamentally change the underlying reality, which is that the Bolsonaro movement does not depend on him entirely or mainly. Just as the Trump movement we're right. seeing, that we're starting to see does not, Donald Trump could disappear in one way or another, and the Trump movement, yep. you know, somebody else will try and take up the mantle now, whether they'd be as same as Trump or as effective, well, who knows? <laughs> but the point is, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not a one-man show. And as a result, you know, as I said, uh, in, in another four years, there'll be another presidential election, and, uh, you know, Lula, Lula will then be, I guess, 80 years old. He may run again, he may not run again, but uh, the Bolsonaro f- group has... Uh, they, th- there will be other people that they could put forward if, if Bolsonaro himself doesn't decide to run. And the point of that is, yeah. I mean, let, let, let's let's picture, let, let's say, let's say the situation turns around. Let's say the economy in Brazil, you know, sputters along, you know, both, uh, sorry, Lula can't fix the economy on his own. Right. Let's say that happens. And, and this time around, Bolsonaro wins or, or his substitute mm-hmm. wins by a couple percent of the vote. Well, then they've now got the right to burn down all the rainforests they want because they could claim that there's a popular mandate for it. You know, you tried conservation. People didn't want it. This is our country. Leave us alone. So that's, you know, that's, you know, in a, in a way, it's it's. <laughs> If you look at it, it's almost as though uh, the rich world is trying to affect electoral outcomes in, in, poor, in, a, in a poorer country. On the other hand, you know, the larger problem is, you know, my lower Manhattan uh, street could be flooded if I don't do something about this. You know, not next week, but eventually, if I don't do something about the global climate uh, emergency, if I don't do something about it, it's not going to just affect people living in Brazil. It's going to affect me. Well, but gas prices were like five bucks a gallon. <laughs> you know, and what I'm saying is that people, thinking longer term, yeah, sort of more difficult. Thinking short term, uh, you know, people didn't like the gas prices. And now, of course, they've gone way, way down. But people just look at, at the short term. And getting people to look at the longer term, I mean, I know I'm here on the East Coast, and we had some serious storms in the past few weeks that were just incredible. Right. So I know it. I've seen it. But 
a lot of people in the mid part of the country, and that's uh, what we're talking about. And th- there have been a lot of changes in, in Brazil's economy. I mean, it's, people, politicians in particular, rarely do things out of the goodness of their heart. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And Brazil's... Absolutely, yeah. But but, but there again, um, what I, my response to that would be, you're 100% right. But my response to that would be that that argument would have, uh, that line would have, made more sense to me. I mean, it still makes sense to me, but it, it would have been more weighty even up till a few months ago. But once I started learning about the actual tipping point, once I started, rec- uh-huh. you know, there was a very famous uh, American scientist called Thomas Lovejoy who devoted his life to um, studying the Amazon. He set up projects there. He, he was a combination. He was truly a remarkable man. I had privilege to hear him uh, talk once or twice. He, 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 he set up institutes there, research institutes that went on for years to actually, you know, we say the rainforest is, is drying out or dissipating. What's actually happening? Let's look at it very closely. He did all that. And he was an endlessly, he was a bow tie wearing, calm, pleasant, endlessly patient guy who continued to talk about how to protect the, the, the rainforest. He died uh, just over a year ago, age 81. But but at one of his talks, he made the following statement. I'm just going to paraphrase it. But he said, look, he said, um, if you take the fact, if you take the risk to the rainforest of a, of a tipping point and you multiply that by the consequences of a tipping point globally, Good. then you can see that inaction is impossible. In other words, he recognized as a scientist, a distinguished scientist, he recognized that these predictions, you know, are not uh, scientific laws. They're simply extrapolating from the best data that we have at the moment. But he also recognized that, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I would start, I live in, an, my wife and I live in an apartment in New York. We haven't had any serious problems here. So am I really going to stop paying for the apartment insurance? You know, what <laughs> if there's a fire tomorrow? I mean, you know, and, and yet in this case, going back to my earlier analogy, there is a fire already three or four or five doors down. And it's burning, and nobody's putting it out. It's been amazing how it, it seems like it's part of human nature. We just uh, sweep things under the rug, kick the can down the road a piece, just over and over and over again. And I think people are starting to get it. And there have been big changes in, in Brazil's economy, uh, pr- making the Am- protecting the Amazon more difficult. As you write, that in 2021, Ford Motor Company... Uh, yeah, got yeah. out of there. They ended its century-long presence. Uh, well, what happened exactly? What happened was that up until ten or so years ago, Brazil looked as though it was one of those rarer third-world uh, global South countries that were starting to uh, move up the ladder of industrialization. In uh, other words, uh-huh. leave behind the uh, or, or partly leave behind the export of raw materials or raw products like coffee and start to manufacture. I mean, if you fly, for instance. If you fly uh, regional jets, say between, I don't know, Syracuse and Albany or you know, whatever, you might be flying on an Embraer manufactured jet, which is a Brazilian company, which huh. was started under the, yeah, it was started under the Brazilian uh, dictatorship. It's thrived since then. And so it's one of the several manu- worldwide manufacturers. Not, you, you know, a, a, big, a big plane is still going to be from Airbus or, or, or Boeing. But a medium-sized, smaller plane, you say, okay. So those are good-paying jobs. Brazil also had a large uh, motor industry. Uh, enough people earned enough money to buy cars. 
Lula himself uh, was a working class person who worked. I don't think he worked directly in autos, but he worked in a advanced industrial, you know. So in other words, Brazil had the equivalent of the United Auto Workers, the United Steel Workers. And that's the background that Lula came out of. Okay. So what happened for various reasons starting, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago was that Brazil started to stagnate economically somewhat. And as a result, it no longer could earn from, you know, Embraer still exports jets, but it's not enough to sustain an entire economy of 100, again, 100 million people. So what happened was Brazil now had to fall back again, go back down the ladder, as it were, had to fall back onto primary exports. So there's a giant iron ore mine up yeah. in uh, up in uh, Carajas, which is uh, in the rainforest. It's already there. So that mine has already done its damage to the... Okay, so they were exporting iron. I think it's the biggest iron ore mine in the world. Uh, soy, you know, again, China was industrializing. Uh, China was industrializing. They needed food. So the soya was exported there. So there was a big boom in that and a few other products, uh, including beef, orange juice. I guess a lot of our orange juice now comes from Brazil, not from well, some still comes from Florida. But OK, so the point is, though, that what that means is that a lot of people who worked in these advanced industries were now going to lose their jobs or their kids were not going to get jobs in the same kind of industries. And, you know, they did various things. But what some of them did was, again, they jumped on an old bus and went up into the rainforest in the same way that a lot of my neighbors on the south side of Chicago, when the steel mills closed, they probably, you know, I know why, well, probably, I know, they went down to Texas and looked for other jobs. Now, the jobs they got might not have been as well paid, as, the, but at least they found something. Yeah. Now, you know, what's happened in Brazil is that in some cases they haven't been able to find anything, and as a result, they vote against the party in power, which makes perfect sense. So, again, that's showing how the Brazilian economy makes Lula's task that much more, Lula and his allies, I should say, makes their task that much more difficult this time around. Indeed. And and uh, for those, again, who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, uh, we're talking with uh, James North, who's written an article in The Nation about uh, the importance of Lula, the election of Lula, way down south in Brazil, someplace we don't think about all the time, but it's a big deal. And it's it's really important. And I know we've been over a little bit, but again, people don't do this stuff out of the goodness of their hearts. To pay no, Brazilians no. not to do these bad things takes a lot of money. Brazil is not a wealthy country. How how will the new schemes work? Where does the money come from? How much of it uh, are there, like in the U.S., you know, a few super wealthy people in gated communities? Or No, it's an excellent question. And I would say that at this stage... Uh, it's still being firmed up, you know, it's still uh -huh. being discussed. Uh, what I wanted to do in this particular article was at least point out that this is under consideration and why, and why it has to be under consideration. Uh, some countries like I believe Norway and Sweden, they have made some donations toward uh, Brazil towards protecting the rainforest, but I think it's nothing on the scale that would, would prove to be necessary. But what my intention is, is to continue to follow this very closely because I'm now alarmed. I, I, you know, again, I, I first visited the rainforest over 30 years ago and, and, you know, and, and I was alarmed then, but I'm really alarmed now. And so I tend to continue following this in the nation and anywhere else. And, uh, one problem too is that, um, 
until very recently, uh, U.S. U.S. coverage of this uh, of the of the global the rainforest crisis has been uh, spotty. Okay, yeah. there've been some good there've been some good coverage. Now, what happened was um, uh, Dom Phillips and uh, mm. Bruno Pereira, a, a, a British journal, an English journalist, and a, and his uh, and his and his Brazilian uh, expert were murdered in the rainforest back in June. Uh, they were looking into again. They were trying to, you know, report on the the, the danger to it, and apparently some illegal fishermen. It, it, it's not clear exactly who's guilty here, but some illegal fishermen who feared that their illegal schemes of uh, were going to be exposed uh, killed them. Mm-hmm. That at least prompted some coverage in the New York Times, the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Reporters went to these areas, and so there was some coverage, and so it's improving. But by and large, you know, it's not on the radar of your average American. Right. What's more, I mean, I don't, you know, cable news. I mean, even, look, leave Fox News aside of it. The, you know, the centrist cable news networks, they seem to consist, you know, this is one of my pet peeves, but they seem to consist of a bunch of experts sitting around in a studio talking about, you know, my opinion and my opinion. And, you know, any one of us could probably join them, and we have opinions. The whole point of, of being a reporter is you're supposed to go out and find out what's going on. And I have yet to see recently um, anyone uh, flying into the rainforest and, and, and reporting this. Now, there's one big exception. Yeah, okay. There's one big exception. There's a terrific new documentary called The Territory. It's oh. called The Territory. Uh-huh. It's set in the Brazilian rainforest. It came out over the summer. It's available on Disney Plus. I'm not trying to be a shill for Disney, but you know, to their credit, that's where you can watch it. I, I, I was so impressed, I went back and watched it again the next day. It really shows the forest defenders, these indigenous people, uh-huh. as they're trying to protect their, their, their corner of the Amazon from these uh, chainsaw invaders. It's, a pow- you know, it's, it's been nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary. It's a powerful, powerful film, The Territory. Now, we, you know, the, 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 the crew, they spent like three or four years doing this. I mean, they went back and forth. And, you know, it's a remarkable, you know, I'm 70 years old. I've seen a lot of documentary films in my life, and a lot of them have been very good. But this is right up there. Uh, you know, right towards the top. Okay. Cool. And so that gives you some idea. And there has again, again, as I said, you know, the New York times has a, has an article coming out in the Sunday magazine on, on, on uh, the tipping point in the Amazon. So what we want to see is more of this coverage. And what happens is when people read it and follow it and act on it, then that encourages the press to actually do more. Oh, politics is so much theater. Something new, something exciting, something to grab attention. And even, you know, places like MSNBC, they're not going to do anything to uh, upset their advertisers. <laughs> they know where their money comes from. But- well, yeah, and I think, too, I think in that case, I think it's more a question of budget. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it costs money oh, to send yeah. a crew to, you know. I mean, mind you, the networks used to do that years ago. They I did. mean, they had crews in Vietnam. You know, I'm old yeah. enough to remember the Vietnam War, yeah, whatever. Me too. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, so let's hope the coverage now, you know, I try what I try and do on my Twitter feed, James North seven, I try and, uh, promote whenever there's coverage of the Amazon, you know, I, I, am interested in a bunch of issues, not just the Amazon, not just the you know Brazilian rainforest, but you know, I try and put that out and there are other Amazon, you know, there are other accounts. There's a great organization based in the Bay area with an office in Washington, DC called Amazon watch, ah. Amazon watch. They have a staff, they have staff members in Brazil. They follow this closely. And so, you know, if you want to keep up to date on what's going on, you know, they're, they're, and others, I'm not, 
you know, I'm, uh, they're, they're, they're plenty, you know, people have devoted their entire lives and careers to trying to, um, to trying to uh, bring this to attention. But again, you know, let me just repeat what I've, what I've already told you probably five times. This is a real emergency. Now, this is no longer, uh, if we don't do something, we could have trouble in 20 years. Uh. All true. You know, this is really, uh, Again, and, and I'm by nature not an alarmist person. You know, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of the world. I've, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm not naive. Uh, and so when I say this, and, and believe me, plenty of other people who know more about this particular subject than I do, when we say this, we really mean it. I mean, uh, you know, this could be... Uh, this could be a real tragedy with, with, with ramifications that we don't, we don't have any idea about. And the good news is, as you pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, is that um, there is a step in the right direction here. But by itself, Lula's election is not going to solve the problem. Indeed. And the, the, as my old college professor said, uh, politics is the economy of violence. And there has been a lot of violence there. You talked Plenty about of violence. There. And the indigenous yes. people, I don't know what percentage of the people in in uh, Brazil are indigenous and I wonder where they come into play in all this well a small much smaller percentage yeah, but, than there used to be I mean <laughs> what, what seems to happen is when they've been contacted in the past um, yeah. they're susceptible you know you, you know this whole story they're susceptible to illnesses yeah. that you know the common cold that don't bother me and you do bother you know mm-hmm. so that said, there are very few uncontacted people left in the in the Amazon. Most most indigenous sure. people have been contacted. That said, you know I I disc- you know in the in the process of researching this article for the Nation, I found a fairly recent study. Let me just quickly look here. The number of people who um, oh uh, you know people environmentalists in the U.S. rarely, if ever, sometimes I think they're threatened with violence. But they're rarely, if ever, murdered. I can't think, I suspect there may have been a case or two here or there, but by and large, no. But here's a study, uh, which I cite in my article, that from the decade from 2012 to 2021, 1,700 environmental activists in the global south were murdered, Mm. and Brazil was in first place with 342 killings. So, you know, you'll see this in the film, The Territory, because I'm I'm not going to spoil the film but basically one of the protagonists is murdered while they're making the film not they don't film his murder but he's okay so the point is that these people are literally risking their lives uh, to protect the rainforest and you know our environmentalists of whom i certainly consider myself one you know we do things but you know we don't expect to be assassinated for well, it. well maybe and yet that seems to be fairly I, I don't know routine but it's all too common let's put it that way well maybe that'll grab some attention whatever it takes to grab attention no absolutely absolutely <laughs> and and absolutely. The, the power of the amazon is something never to be underestimated as a student of history i think of T.R., Teddy Roosevelt, who was real macho, you know, like actually, you know, clearly exemplified the North American, I'm going to be the man and conquer the world. The He went into the Amazon and he yeah, it almost killed him. <laughs> he found yeah, out yeah, the yeah. power of the Amazon is not insignificant. 
So it seems no, like Lula is uh, respecting that. And I, I wonder, what, what do you think his chances of success going forward are? I mean, crystal ball. Well, his chances, if success only were only relied on, on, on the intelligence and courage of him and his movement, the chances <laughs> would be excellent. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. Yeah. And as a result, you know, I mean, you could say that by my publishing this particular article right when he took power is the opening salvo in a, in a campaign that many, look, I'm hardly a prominent person, but in a campaign that many, many other people are going to be conducting over the next four years to try yeah. and continue to alert uh, you know, readers in our country or, or listeners in our country uh, as to, you know, th this danger. But, but also, you know, I, I guess I would just say this, there is hope. Uh, mm. It's not as though, I mean, some people hear about all these doomsday scenarios and they just, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's depressing. Right. Let's right. just give up. Let's go on uh, with our daily uh, lives. Yeah. I understand that completely. I understand that completely, but that's not, that is not the case here. That is not the case here. Uh, no one who, for instance, goes to see that film, the territory will leave out of their thinking, oh, let me just sit around and do nothing. I mean, you may not, who knows what your decision will be or what, you know, you, you're not going to necessarily leave your daily job and mm. go down and help these people. But the point is you will not, you, you will see. And, and what they do is they use in that film, they use coverage. I think it's mostly must be from these new inexpensive drones, but mm. you know, you're sitting, you're sitting in the rainforest, you're seeing, you know, it's a magnificent, you know, and the film really recreate the, 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 the film recreates how magnificent the, 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 the these areas are. And then you see the, you know, the, the drone, I guess, which is holding on to the camera rises above it. And then you look off to the left and there's a vast wasteland, yeah. you know, where there's a the clear demarcation line and there's a vast wasteland where, you know, it's been burned and cut back and not grown back. And you'll see a few cattle there. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking actually. Well, the whole world needs to see that, uh, yeah, we are interdependent on that. And, absolutely. and, and that this is something that absolutely affects us. That's, that's quite a task, and maybe we're at a tipping point of that happening. Hey, this has been... Yeah, a good point. Excellent point, yes. This yes. has been a, a real pleasure. Wonderful to talk to you. The film you recommend is The Territory. i got to see if I can find that. Uh, James... North it's on, you know, the great thing is, you know, you don't have to go to the theater anymore. I, I mean, it, if you get a chance to see it in the theater, by all means, do. Yeah, but, well, you know, you can, you, know, you can see it online. I will do that. Thank you so much. And it's always good to end up the show with the sense of some degree of hope. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Oh, James I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Oh, believe me, if you had conducted this podcast and Lula had lost by 1.8 percent votes, uh, I mean, you know, what can you do? You got to do something. But uh, no, this is this is just uh, it's an optimistic. Uh, yes, it's a good start to 2023, but more needs to be done. Thank you, sir. Great show. Thank you so much. The hidden hand is just one round And the winds of change prevail And all the winds The beast is on the prowl Can you hear the strings cry? Winds of change are blowing
If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thank you.